Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Hey, welcome this morning. It's so good to see your faces. Like there's something special about uh, seeing your eyeballs, even though most of us have masks on, but I can see your faces. And I've been preaching to a camera for the last three months, okay? So I'm really, really excited to see actual people here uh, in the room today. For those of you that are joining us online, man, we're so excited that you are with us as well. I wanna welcome you today. And uh, this, this morning is a special morning for us because we're going to be having a conversation live about gospel and race. We've watched as our, um, our nation has been just in uproar over the last uh, two and a half weeks now as we've seen uh, just the outrage uh, with the death of George Floyd and seeing the response to that outrage, right? We're seeing uh, some positive things and also some negative things that have come out of that. And so we know that the church is the hope of the world. Like Jesus Christ dwells within his church and he is uh, calling us to step up in this season, that we are to be the salt and the light of the earth. And so I wanted us to spend a couple weeks talking about gospel and race. Last week, if you uh, watched online, we talked about the resources that we have within the gospel that actually dismantle the racism uh, that, um, that is uh, prevalent in our nation's history. And so uh, today, what I want us to do is just to start with a scripture. I want kind of want to set the stage and then uh, BC, uh, BC and Guolo is going to come up and share with us as well. But I want to read from Ephesians 6. If you have a copy of the scriptures and want to join with me, I want to read verses 10 through 12. This is a famous passage that you probably know by heart. As I start reading it, you're going to be like, oh yeah, okay, I know how this goes. But I want to tell you why I'm reading this, okay? This is in no way, in reading this passage, does it minimize what's happening uh, in the world right now. It doesn't minimize the issues, but I just want to remind us of a truth that we desperately need to be reminded of right now. So Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says, Finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, the reason why I wanted to remind you of this passage is that it tells us something important. It tells us that there is a struggle and the struggle is real. And we know that the struggle is real here in our nation. But it also tells us that the struggle is not against other people. It's not against flesh and blood. But he says that there are powers, principalities, principalities, spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And he uses this phrase in verse 11, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. 
which tells us that we have an adversary. You guys know that already, right? The scriptures clearly tell us that from start to finish. We have an adversary. His name is Satan. He has a horde of demons, and they are active in the world, disrupting, causing the, uh, the hatred. They're, they run into issues uh, where there's been a lot of wounding, such as the issue of racism in our nation. They run into that, not to uh, bring any kind of good change, but actually to create further division. And so I believe that as the church, we have to become the voice of healing. Jesus Christ is the healer, the great physician. And Jesus has called us to step into this issue and to be aware that there is a schemer and that he, he would love to pit people against one another. And so I'm praying that as we have a conversation that God would give us a bigger perspective and that he would help us to um, just to see the action steps that we can take to bring healing. I heard a pastor share this recently. Uh, he had a water bottle in between him and another person. And it was a bottle of Ozarka, my favorite bottle of water, by the way. I love Ozarka water. I don't know why. Maybe it's my Texas pride, but I just love Ozarka. He puts it out in front of him and he asks his friend, what do you see? And the pastor said, well, it says uh, Ozarka since 1903. And the guy said, that's not what I see. My, mine says springs in such and such place, Texas, and it has a whole other paragraph on the other side. And the point he was making is this. We're looking at the same issue, but we're looking at it from different perspectives. And the only way for us to begin to come together is to walk around to the other side of the issue and to see it with different eyes. And so I don't know what set of eyes you have as you look at the issue of racism, but I'm praying that God would just help us to kind of walk around the other side of that issue and to see it more fully and more clearly. Okay, so uh, without any further ado, I want to welcome BC up here. Why don't you give him a big warm welcome this morning as he comes up today. And uh, man, thank you so much for helping me out on this. BC and Courtney and their three boys, Thanks, man. Have, uh, they've been a part of Renaissance for about a year now. Yeah. I think there's a, see if you're live. Give or take. Yeah, yeah about a year. And uh, BC has three boys, so I feel his pain. You know what I'm saying? Like, as a parent, because I love my boys. Boys, where are you? You out there? I love my boys. But you know, it gets a little crazy. All that testosterone in one house, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just gets a little nuts. So uh, I see your family, I'm thinking like, I, I, I feel like I understand you because I have three boys too. So it's, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> so um, what I wanted to do, so BC and I had, uh, we had coffee this week and we just sat down, we just talked about the different kind of issues surrounding racism. And, you know, I grew up um, in, in Austin, Texas, and my little bubble that I grew, in, I grew up in, didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of real insight into the real issues that were happening just from where I lived and the people that I was around. And so I wanted us, for me personally, and for all of us, just to hear another perspective. And so I wanted BC just to come and share with us 
First of all, can I just ask you, kind of tell us a little bit about your connection to George Floyd. I know that you guys kind of have a connection. I'll, I'll share the backstory. Whenever, uh, whenever George Floyd was killed, I was reading an article on Christianity, Christianity uh, Today, and they were quoting a pastor from Houston with the last name of Nguolo. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's BC's brother, and so I need to call BC and see, like, did he know George Floyd and, and kind of how he's processing everything? So anyways, tell us about your connection and, uh, and fill us in, man. So thanks, thanks for uh, calling me, Chris. Uh, yeah, man. I, I appreciate that for reaching out. So George Floyd, um, so my brother, he's, he's a, a pastor in the Houston area, um, Third Ward, uh, right next to U of H, TSU. Uh, CUNY homes and so on and so forth. So um, when we used to live in Houston, we always uh, would go, we went to that church, right? Um, and a lot of the outreach that we were doing, we had outreach in about four different parts of the city. One in the Southwest, which my wife and I were, were leading, one in Third Ward, uh, like kind of like around U of H campus, one TSU, then one in Northside, one in the West Side, and then one in, well, that's, that's four, it's like six. Then, then the last one would be in CUNY Homes. CUNY Homes is one of the largest projects, um, project housing, projects, project housings in Houston. There's one in Acres Homes, which is Northside off 44 and, uh, 45 in Tidwell. Um, and CUNY Homes is, a lot of depravity, a lot of poverty. Most of the kids there go to Yates. Um, some may go to TSU because TSU is like a fence over. Mm. But um, most of those uh, individuals in those homes have lived there for the, since it was built. Um, see those walls? So most of us in this room uh, live around here for the most part. And my house has sheetrock. If you had a flood, you might have some duroc or something in there. And you're, but all the homes in the CUNY homes have that brick. And so you, you can't really hang pictures unless you have something to you know, tack in that brick. And it's crazy, you know, because we all have sheetrock. Sheetrock is really easy to go into. Yeah. And so uh, we all were doing ministry. Well, what happened, what started was, was that we needed people of peace. Yeah. And it was several people. So we were doing ministry in Southwest, but in that area, uh, my brother and another couple, uh, couple gentlemen, um, brothers in Christ, they were going in. They started trying to make relationships with individuals in CUNY homes, because I mean, it's it's they need Jesus. All all people need Jesus. But in that mm. moment in time, that was a direct connection because it was a more of a college-based ministry. And so it's kind of like, hey, look around you. Well, we're in college already. Well, what's next? Let's go to CUNY Homes. You know what I mean? And so from there, it was just a building. He was one of the uh, individuals. He was 46 uh, on the, the time of his death. He was 46. So he was an older individual, what we call um, in a lot of communities the OG, right? Um, OG. <laughs> the OG. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, he was a very inviting. Him and, and some other individuals very inviting. Say, hey, we need change in our community because you can... If you go in there, you, if you go into CUNY Homes or you go in anywhere, you can see the difference. Like, you can see the difference in how life is. You know what I mean? I don't want to sit there and describe it. You just have to go in there. But we, we were going every weekend, my, my family and I, because, you know, I, I had a full-time, well, I still have, well, I don't have a full-time job, but I had a full-time job then, and so I can only go on the weekends. Um, and you could see what was going on. And so from then, uh, we started what's called Church in the Bricks. So... 
we started going to church. We had church just like we're doing right now. We had the, the speakers, the chairs, the mics, the, uh, the song team, everything. And we started doing church every single month or every, once a month, uh, once a month for about the last, for like two years or two, two and a half years. Then we would go every single week, uh, multiple times a week and do what we call missional community, which is very similar to a house church. Um, a lot of teaching, a lot of the word of God, a lot of how to live this Christian walk, trying to make it tangible uh, for individuals um, in, those, in those homes, but also making it tangible for those who are preaching because a lot of times the gospel, it, people hear a lot of words, but they don't see how it's acted out. You know, if you look in the first, if you look in the book of Acts, you see the gospel walked through and through. And so that's what we did. And so anyways, uh, he, Wow, he, he allowed us to do a lot of things. You know, a lot of things, when you go into certain homes, um, you're not allowed to go in there. And so he just opened a door for a lot of us to do ministry, um, a lot of growth, a lot of baptisms, a lot of feeding. I remember when Hurricane Harvey started, uh, we were allowed to set up on the basketball court. And uh, every, all of us, it was like, you know, we're all, we were all, I'm 34. At that time, I was probably about 31. So all of us in our 20s and 30s, were just, we, all, we all like collected a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of clothes during Hurricane Harvey came up there, set up the whole entire basketball court, hmm. and we, we fed and we clothed and we gave toiletries to everybody in Hurricane Harvey. Because you can imagine, if you're in a hurricane, um, and you know, we know all this, especially if you lived in uh, Pecan Grove or Pecan Lakes, you were kind of trapped or you had some things going on, unless you had like a big four-wheeler or whatever. But think about it, you're in the, you're in the, middle, of, you're in the middle of the hood, hmm. and there's you're in a uh what's that word called you're in a food desert you're in a food desert how are you supposed to get food and so that's the first thing we thought about how are you supposed to get clothes how are you supposed to do all these different things and so that's what the first thing we did was collect money get food and provide food for the cuny homes and so anyways he allowed all that to happen it, you know and and he's because you got to think about it he was he's like more of a protector in the area you get what I'm saying? He, he protected the area from outsiders because outsiders are not wanted. Outsiders being trouble, even though there's already things going on in there. Just, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, that, that's kind of our connection with George Floyd. Wow. So he was your person of peace. Correct. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. So, you know, I saw, like many of you saw probably on social media, you watched the video of George Floyd dying, right? And obviously that's, you know, it's just heartbreaking. It's almost like can't watch it like you have to turn it off because it's just it's too much you know yeah, yeah so i'm crazy. just obviously i was heartbroken watching this i'm just curious how what you're processing and feeling as you're watching that um pretty torn up i looked at his i i you know they called him big big floyd and i looked at him i didn't think nothing about it honestly because when they said george floyd i you know you, you don't think it's going to happen so this so let me let me give you a back uh, kind of a backstory. This is nothing new to the, if you're black. This is nothing new. If you're black, African, African American, this is nothing new. And so when you see that, you're like, not another one, hmm. not another one of my brothers. What happened? Hmm. Someone's gonna change the narrative. Oh, he was a criminal. Oh, he was breaking the law. That's why he deserved to die. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, you know what I mean? Hmm. And that's the first. I'm just being honest with you. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought. I'm like, man, they're trying to change the narrative. This guy. And I'm like looking at the story. I'm looking at the reading the whole story. And as I look closer, I'm like, wow. 
That's Big Floyd. Hmm. You can't change the narrative on him. I know him. He wasn't, he wasn't robbing anybody. He wasn't committing a crime. I know him. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the first thing I thought. I know him. Wow. And then, and then from there, it was like, gosh, God, how can this happen? Then, I, you know, uh, my friend Nigelon has posted some stu- uh, uh, text messages. Oh, man, I'm up here for a Christian, a Christian comp, uh, camp because he was getting the tools he needed to come back down here to, to make money. You know, he's trying to become a trucker, you know, trying to find. He was on the bat. So one of the things, is we, one of the time, things we did was uh, we played basketball a lot, you know, especially when you have a basketball go. And he was a he went around and played basketball for money. But, you know, at 46, it's not really the, the move anymore. You know, you're not athletic anymore. And so he needed to find ways to support his family. And so he's become a trucker. He's going to get a CDL. So he went to Minnesota to get his, his, uh, his CDL. And, and now he's dead. Mm. Wow. And so the crazy thing is, man, I'm at this Christian camp. So the, very thing, so the very thing that a lot of people don't realize is that Christians, black Christians die. Black people die. You get what I'm saying? And they die at the hands of a lot of, they die at the hands of a lot of different, you know, different ways. Obviously, we know we, we could talk about black on black crime. We could talk about uh, uh, police brutality. We talk about all these different things, but it's kind of like, wow. You, you, it's hard to talk when people are dying. Like death is final. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If I kick my shoe off right now, I could go get another, my shoe, but he died. If I go, uh, you know, let's say I rob a store, which I wouldn't, but let's say I rob a store, there's, there's there's a next day to that. There's no next day to someone dying at the hands of another human being, whether it being black, white. And so, and so there's a whole bunch yeah. to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so that's, that's kind of what went, th- yeah. went, all that went through my head, man. Yeah. And so man. It was, I was pretty torn up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to, I want to, we talked about this a little bit when we were, you know, having coffee. Yeah. So how have you experienced racism personally like can you just tell us help us get perspective of what like you have experienced and maybe share like a little bit of your family background with folks just so they know like your family history and then what you've experienced personally so you know you as you can see by my last name my parents are from nigeria we're we're Igbo. a lot of people don't understand that this thing within black community is actually extends all the way to Africa. And you see the TV, you see the the kids who are malnourished, you see this, you see that, you see the, and a lot of, a, a lot of that is the media training us is look at blacks, African, African-Americans or through a lens of like hopelessness. But in actuality, if you take a big picture, um, Africa is, is thriving well. Hold on a second. It's thriving now. Back in the 1970s, my, my mom is 70. My mom is 70. My dad's dead. They had a war called the Biafran War, and so the war was against the uh, was against two different groups in Nigeria. It was actually three different groups, but for the most part, my people are Igbo. Well, that war was backed by. Can anybody, does anybody know who the war was backed by? Britain, because Britain colonized Nigeria. Britain. Um, con, uh, back the Eurobus. And so when the war happened, my, my, the Ebos were living on the east side. The east side of Nigeria had all the oil. 
And so that's what, that's what they're fighting. They're literally fighting for the control of the nation's resources because it's a billion-dollar industry. We still pump oil from Nigeria today. The gas in your cars, all your Silverados and Tahoes and all that other good stuff, it's all powered by uh, oil from uh, Nigeria as well as Saudi Arabia as well as Venezuela. Keep moving. What a lot of people don't understand is that Exxon and BP were like, nah, we need the oil, we need the oil. I'm gonna give all the guns and weapons to what they're, it's called the Yoruba people, Yoruba people, so they can uh, uh, win the war, so that they can take over all of Nigeria and take the resources. Well, my family is a part of that. My uncle died in that war. Fast forward, my mom came here, right? They've, you know, this is a long story, but I'm trying to move the story along. My mom came here eventually, right? And so my mom came to this country and she was, uh, she had an accent. She's African, uh, Nigerian, she had an accent and she had us. Well, a lot, you know, a lot of people don't realize this. My, you know, I have like two degrees. My sister has two degrees. My brother has two degrees. My mom had two degrees. My dad had three degrees. So there's a level of education there. And what a lot of people don't realize is that my mom couldn't work. She couldn't work with her degree. My dad couldn't work with no degree. And so, so now, it, it like, you know, my dad turned, I don't know, he, he turned crazy. He really did, he turned crazy. It made him crazy that a man, he had a PhD uh, in economics. Well, if you know anything about economics, you had Alan Greenspan, you had Jerome Powell. Those are his contemporaries. My dad went to some of the highest, the highest schools. They wouldn't hire him. He couldn't get a, he couldn't get a good job in the, in the academic field. And he had a whole doctorate from John Hopkins as well as, and so that played a real bad uh, part in my life because now we all suffer from abuse. So you see how that, where he couldn't get a job, no criminal record, he had everything he needed and he couldn't get a job and now he abused my mom, he abused us. And so now guess what happens? We're now, in, we're now uh, they're, they're, they divorced because my mom can't take that anymore, right? So now we're in Arkansas. Let me set, let me set this, and I'll, this is my last story. So we're now in Arkansas. My mom's in Dallas, and I'm in, so from all that, you see how, you see how all that, that kind of like this uh, xenophobic, xenophobia, racism projected onto my family had now split us up. Partially is because my dad couldn't handle it. Yeah. Other part, it is, it is what it is. So now we're here in, we're in Little Rock, Arkansas. And if you know anything about the South, which we all are in, it's not very tolerant <laughs> of a lot of different things. And I've been living in the South most of my life. I was born in Washington, D.C. So here, here we are. My mom's in Dallas, we're here. My dad had to go to work. He was a, a professor at UAP, no, no, a professor at UALR, University of Arkansas, Little Rock, and, and, all right? So he worked a lot, right? Because I do night school, because he couldn't get tenure. Uh, he was, uh, what's that word called? Um, he was an adjunct, so he had to do night shift, right? He had to do night shift. Anyways, so we're all by ourselves, 10, 4, 6, something along those lines. Five, maybe 5, 11, and 7, something along those lines. That was my, was all of our ages. I was probably 5. I had to be 5. So it was 29 years ago. We were selling candy, you know, just trying to do our thing, selling candy. We're in Little Rock, Arkansas. We lived off of a street called Waymouth Drive. I don't know how I know that. I have a pretty good memory, kind of. <laughs> All right? <laughs> and so uh, Waymouth is right here. There's this long street. I don't remember the name of it, okay? But we crossed that street. Let me fast forward. So we went knocking. We went knocking, and I was selling candy bars for my local school, just trying to raise money. You know how I do, we used to do back in, back in the day, guys. We, it was okay to sell candy bar door to door, right? Y'all remember those days? Y'all yeah. remember the magical days? Uh, we've sold many candy bars here <laughs> at 
uh, I have three kids at Jane Long, and uh, we love candy seasons, so it's all good. And so, so, so we, we went, okay, so it was all of us, it was my sister, some friends, I was probably, I had to have been five, she had to have been seven, and everyone was around those ages, right? We, we, I was in a trailer park, and I went knocking on doors. One door, one door was good, next door was good. The third door, and I still remember this to this day, 29, 30 years later, I'm 34, so yeah, about to be 35 this year. 30, yeah, 30 years later, I still remember this to this day because this is my first encounter with racism. I go to the door. Don't, I don't know anything. I'm, I'm five. I knock on the door. The me, and I just, you know, waiting, you know, you know, doing my thing as a five-year-old. I open the door. Sir, sir, would you like to buy some candy bars? Get off my porch, you, I don't wanna buy no candy bars. That's at five. So you can now, you can imagine. I'm like, uh, 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 and I just, and I said, oh, so, and I ran, I took off. I took off out of the trailer park. And I know that's not a, uh, not a big picture of all people who are white, but that was my first encounter with a white person. And from there, it didn't skew me. But what it did was, man, well, it's, it's there. I think over a period of time, it was there. So then I hear some, so then, you know, fast forward, I, tell, I told my sister, I said, hey, that dude called me a, you know, whatever. I've never heard that before. No. She's like, she's like, did you, what'd you do? I said, I just ran. She's like, good. I'm glad you did, because, you know, that he was bad. And that was it. We just moved on. We were five and seven. It was, what are you going to do? We just moved on. Yeah. That was my first encounter, man. Wow. Yeah. Man. Sorry, bro. That's, uh, that's, that's rough. So one of the phrases, so when he and I were having coffee, one of the phrases that you said, because we're, we're talking about there's some things, some systemic things that maybe we don't all observe or see or experience. Um, and one of the phrases that you used when we were talking was the phrase of stay in your lane. So like that there, there's this mentality of like, stay in your lane. Do you mind just kind of describing what you, what you meant by that phrase, stay in your lane? Just So stay in your lane means stay where you are. If you kind of take a step back and look at where everyone is in society, even right now, before George Floyd, after George Floyd, before Philando Castile, before Alton Sterling, before Obama, before uh, Breonna uh, Taylor, before all these people, uh, you know, even going back to like, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson, right? It, it is a, well, it, even before then, George Washington, there's a lane that blacks have to roll in. And, and most of you in here mostly are white, but there's a lane. And I, try, and I try to navigate those things because I understand, I understand there is a lane. I don't like it. I hate it. And I'm like, why do I have to have a be in a lane? Why can't I just be, right? But a lot of, a lot of blacks... Africans understand there's a lane and the moment you cross that lane like you're driving you're you're bound to get in a car wreck and a car wreck comes now you see people get shot or you see this person get fired or you see and it actually happened to me last year and it's crazy I don't I don't know I'm not gonna go there right now but that happened because I didn't stay in my lane I was removed from my job it's a it's, you know what I mean and that stay in your lane is hey you're gonna do exactly what I tell you you're gonna, you're gonna, uh, you're gonna take exactly what I give you, and the moment you decide that you want more than what I'm giving you, and more than what I'm, I'm, uh, uh, more than what you, what you, what you get, what you have, 
there's going to be an issue. There's going to be an issue. You know what I mean? Hence the, the flag, uh, the cross burning. Why would you put a cross in someone's yard and burn it? Why would you hang somebody? Because that, because that person who was hung, who was beaten, who was bruised, who was lynched, did not stay in their lane. That is a reality. But do you know who else didn't stay in their lane? Jesus. He was hung. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was spit on. Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the son of God? And I'm not trying to, there's no, there's no parallels, but it just, well, you, have to, you just have to look at that and say, golly, man, what's going on in this world? And there's a, and there's a lane. Yeah, there's yeah. a lane, man. Okay, so we talked about this, in, and I think this might help all of us because I think we, we do have diversity here, right? We, we are a church that is, is a beautiful mix of different types of people. Our county is beautifully diverse, I mean, this is one of the most diverse counties in the U.S., um, and so I think this is this will help all of us, no matter what our background is. But explain a little bit about how maybe our background, our history, our ethnicity, colors, how we do things like, for example, reading scripture. Like we talked about that a little bit. So, like how like because. I think you had some good insights on that. So can you explain to us how our background and our ethnicity can actually color how we see scripture? So I think right off the back, I think when you read the book, when you read anything about dealing with Jesus, you start to say, well, I'm Jesus. And I, and I sometimes feel that I think all, all individuals who are in any type of leadership in a church can feel like they're Jesus, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put that on everybody, but, so, but I think a lot of times when you look and read the scriptures, you start to put yourself in the place where you're not. Does that make sense? Yeah, like you're trying to get in the shoes, but you kind of put yourself in like, oh, I'm in this story, I'm Jesus. <laughs> right. right, yeah. yeah, right. yeah I, I'm the archetype, right? right? I'm Moses, I'm this, I'm that. I'm David. <laughs> I'm right. David. But what you start to, what you, what you also start to see is that I think a lot of times, um, like that, you know, I just said, talked about the, 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 the lynching of Jesus who was died on a cross. I think a lot of times we as blacks can see and feel what Jesus went through because we're going through something similar. Obviously, we're not apart from God. Jesus was apart from God on the cross, right? Uh, Aloy, Aloy, Sabatani, my God, my God, why have, why have you forsaken me? That his apartness, it literally killed him. He did not want to be apart from God. I, I, I'm not trying to um, put the same similar or anyone on the pedestal, but what you see is the oppression. So you have a, you have a Palestinian, dark-skinned Palestinian Jew who is standing up to Roman rule as well as res, re, uh, religious rule, and you start, and, and you, he preaches peace, and he wants peace for his people, but then you also start to see, wow, like, I can, re I can relate to him. Like, I feel his oppression. I feel the things that are going on. You know, Jesus wept, or uh, 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 all sheep have a shepherd, or, or, or he, he cried. Like, like, when we see George Floyd, we cry. Those are the things that where you're like, wow, I can, I can truly, honestly vibe with, with what Jesus is doing as a black individual. You know what I mean? I can truly say, wow. Yeah. 
And so I think a lot of times when it comes to Christianity, I think a lot of times, um, I think sometimes white, I think sometimes white people see the, see a Jesus and I think we see him two different ways. Sometimes, I'm not saying everybody, but sometimes I see him two different ways because if you ever hear messages from different, you ever hear messages from preachers, you almost see a similar, me, a similar message from the, from the black experience. It's, it's a little bit different from the white experience. And so then, uh, to me, it's like, wow, it's like, it's almost like, to, if I, it's almost like there's two different versions of Jesus out there, right? Yeah, and so this idea that, you know, like I wear glasses and I see everything through this pair of glasses, right? If I, and so thinking about our background as like this, almost like a set of glasses through which we see everything, and including our, like when we read scripture, we, we don't necessarily see it the same way. And that's why I think having conversations like this are so helpful for us because we can begin to see the, the nuances of scripture with like fresh eyes. You know, I think half the battle is realizing that I have glasses on. Like if you never knew like, oh, I actually have a set of glasses on that are color how I see things. So once you realize that, that's powerful for us to realize, okay, I do have a lens and I just need to be aware of it, right? So that, I think that helps us. So I want to kind of move us down. I know we're, we're probably running out of time. You know, the media will move on, right? Some other story is going to take over. They have to sell news. And so some other story is going to take over. They're going to move on eventually. Things will quiet down until something else happens. But I think we have to be people who commit to the long term. We're not sprinting to, you know, a quick fix. We have to think marathon of like, how do we be a part of lasting change so that we can hand the world off to our kids and to our grandkids differently? And I've had a sense that Jesus in, in his redemptive love is allowing the issue of racism to keep coming back up because he wants to heal it, right? I, I believe that Jesus wants to bring a unity and a healing to our nation that we've never experienced before, but it's not gonna come apart from Jesus. So I wanted just you to maybe share with us some things of how can we be a part, like us here in Richmond, Rosenberg, Sugarland, Texas, be a part of meaningful action, like some steps yeah. that we can take that will help us be a part of the healing. So let me ask you a question, Chris. When you say healing, you mean the, the reconciliation. Reconciliation. In fact, that's, that's a good, and I, I put that in my notes and I forgot to say it. When I say reconciliation and healing, that's what I'm talking about. Like this is the same thing. That Jesus wants to take the, the multifaceted, uh, multicolored uh, people on the earth, and he wants to heal the, the animosity. It's not to say that we're all the same. It's just that there's no animosity. There's no hatred. There's reconciliation. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So to heal, to heal the, to heal the fraction between races, I think, number one, we have to ask ourselves, I think, Number one, as Christians, so there's this book by Jimmy 
Siebert. He's a church at Antioch. Yeah. He's awesome a pastor, pastor uh, Antioch in Waco. One of my heroes. <laughs> really? Wow. He has a book called uh, Passion and Purpose, I think it is, and uh, how the church can bring change to the world. I believe the church is what the world is missing. We move church out of schools. We move church out of this. We move church out of, you know, we move church out of everything, right? We, we Not church, excuse me, God. We move God out of everything. Right. And the reason why we move God out of everything because we don't want to offend people. We don't want, when we say Jesus, we don't want people to be offended, right? I believe, I believe that we can't be scared to offend people. We really can't. You know what I mean? I think even in this conversation about race, a lot of, in America, a lot of whites are fragile to that. They're fragile, white, white fragility. They're fragile to the idea that, hey, I, I got a black friend, I'm cool. Or, hey, I, wait, hey, that's not me. I look at my circle, got one, or I got two. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. hey, I, you know, I go... I go shooting hoops with my guys, and one of them's black, one's, one of them's Hispanic. And I believe that that's not what God has called us to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so when we heal that, I think it starts with, obviously with us. You know what I mean? I think, I think it's all of us. You know, uh, uh, my white brothers and sisters have to understand that it's not a number. It's the quality of your relationships. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can have you can have one one black friend, but is it a quality black? Is it quality? Just like I can have just like me, I can have one white friend, but it's the quality. And is that what I lead first? The moment that someone says, "Oh, uh, racism," is I I lead with my the number of colored friends I have or colored people in my group. That's fragility right there. That's that's a defense mechanism. Yeah. It's almost like your wife telling you to you know, hey, did you call? Hey, wait a minute, hold on. Hey, you know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm doing that right now. You know what I mean? We've all experienced that. Right, right. If you've ever been married before, yeah, you experienced that. Never and, experienced it, but keep going. You know what I mean? And it's, a, and it's a defense mechanism. But I don't think God has called us to be defensive about things. The gospel is offensive. Uh, hold on. The gospel is offensive. So we talk about gospel and race. The gospel is offensive. It's, it's offensive to those who hear it and do, don't believe. And see, and see, even in that right there, it's the understanding of what the, uh, the written word. And so I think a lot of it is, comes to teaching. It comes to who, who's, what's being preached. But also comes to, like, who's learning. And so I think as all of us as Christians, as we, as we look at healing, we ask ourselves, how am I being healed? Through the media? Through me trying to engage me trying to engage these individuals because I'm, I'm re realizing there's a quota that hasn't been met yet? Or am I just reading the scriptures and saying, you know what? I love, every, I love everybody, and I'm going to engage whoever, no matter what. And I'm going to talk to them, I'm going to love them, and I'm going to build long-lasting friendships with that white person, with that black person, and then I'm going to assess my group of friends, and I'm going to ask myself, hey, you know what? It's not that I need a quota, but it's like, man, this... I need different perspectives. I need different lenses. I need that. That's the thing. Yeah. I need different lenses. Like it's crazy. Like most of the pe most of the people in this room are white, and I could tell you your history, right now, but you couldn't tell me my history. I could I could tell you that if you if you're from you know you're from Britain you're from uh, uh, France or you know Irish Ireland I could tell you when you came to Ellis Island in 18 your your ancestors I could tell you everything about you know your immigration to America if you're Spanish if you're uh, uh, for, if you're Mexican I tell you everything about 
how Spain, Spaniards came from Spain to Mexico. They defeated the Aztecs and all that, took their land and all that. I could tell you that, but you can't tell me, I don't know many people in this room could tell me what happened in Africa, how, how, why there's what it is. You know what I mean? Even look at us in America right now, redlining. I'm in, I'm in real estate. I was also a teacher. I could see the difference. I taught at three different schools. I taught at Den High, I taught at uh, Rilla Ridge, and I taught at um, Elkins. Elkins is well-to-do. Kids had all types of cars. You know, there was a small black population, mostly white, mostly Asian. There was a difference. I was at Denton. There was a big difference. It was a country town. I was at Willow Ridge. It was a big difference. I taught murderers. I taught gang members. I taught kids who got shot. I fed the, I, I, we fed them. My family fed them. You know what I mean? There's a difference there. Mm. So right now, look at the, you know, you know, Lamar Consolidated, you know, just trying to bring it. There's a difference here between this school and Warthammer, whatever, Frost, where my kids go. You know what I mean? And my kids go to Frost because my wife is teacher there. If my kids didn't go to, if my kids didn't, um, uh, my wife was a teacher there, my kids wouldn't go to Frost. Even in that, why my kids go to, why are my kids where my wife is? Well, because I know she would protect them. Well, keep going. So, we're, you know, you know yeah. it, it, it's a lot of things going on because I know that, um, you know, when I was growing up, I had, white teachers had an issue with me. I had, I was getting written up all the time, but I was a smart person, I was the smartest person in the class. That doesn't mean I'm smart now, but that just means I made, a, I made all A's. What was wrong with me? What, what am I, because a lot of times, it's the lens you see black people through. It really truly is. Even when I was at Willow Ridge, there was a lot of problems. I remember one time, this, this individual told me, hey man, I'm trying to help these kids get out. And I'm like, get out of what? Where are they getting out of? But then as I got into real estate, I'm, realized, I'm, I'm realizing more. He's saying, he's pretty much saying, if you put two and two together, there's this line where blacks can only live. There really truly is, they won't land. They won't lend to you if you, it, I'm in real estate, they will not lend to you or they make your really high stupid interest rate if you, if you want to live in a certain area. That's why places like Third Ward happen. Whites, uh, whites, used to, whites were living in one point in time in Third Ward, way back when. Well, blacks started to move in, they moved out. They moved south. Missouri City was all white, now it's mostly black and, and Asian. Sugarlands mostly, it was once upon white. Richmond was once upon white, now it's mostly, it, now it's still white, but it's, it has to mix, more mixture now. What happened, what's happening now in Third Ward? Well, all those people who did own homes who are black because they own those homes, well, what's happening? White people moving right back in. Third Ward, Fifth Ward, white people moving right back in from Richmond, from Sugarland. Too many blacks in my neighborhood, let's move back in. And so what you've seen is, is it's like this replacement. It's like hmm. blacks are like, oh, well, I want, pro I want some property. I want to exist. I want more property. I want to um, have wealth. If you look at the wealth, you know what I mean? If you look at the wealth uh, that's spread across. Uh, well, uh, whites have, I think it was like 70% more wealth than blacks. A lot of it's through real estate. Well, here we go. Why is that? The, why is that? How did that happen? I'm not, a, I'm not a historian, but there's several, several instances. One of them that I keyed on, just because I'm, I'm in real estate, one of them keyed on was when in Vietnam War, when you came back from Vietnam. You had VA loans, right? Not everybody got a VA loan. Not everybody could get a VA loan, even if you fought for this country. You fought for a country and you couldn't get loans. I was like, man, Chris, this is amazing. Yeah. You put your life on the line, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And now you can't get a loan. Well, your white counterparts can. And well, well, think about it. House built in 1970, now will sell for, especially when you renovate, it can sell for almost half a million dollars. And if you sell it for half a million dollars, that means your family is half a million dollars richer.
I want you to guys think about that. Half a million dollars richer. Hmm. Most 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 blacks and, or Hispanics will never see half a million dollars in their lifetime. Hmm. So just things like that, you know what I mean? How, so how do we heal? Get back to that. How we heal? Well, number one, we assess ourselves. Like, number one, how can, like, who, who's around me? I think number two is, well, these things need to change. Who am I voting in office? Am I, you know, I don't want to be political because Jesus wasn't political, but then he, he did say, give what's to Caesar's Caesar's, give what's to God's God's, you know what I'm saying? But what you start to see is that when we vote, we're, we're you know, and I don't want to do this too much, but I'm going to say this, but we're voting, we're, it's almost like we're voting on color lines. If you're Democratic, you vote black. If you're white, you vote Republican, which I don't know how we got to that point right. where we're stuck between two places. Yeah. And so it's like, man, the people, in, the people in office have created these laws, right, that divide us. They really do. They really divide us. They divide Christians. Hmm. They're really dividing Christians. Oh, I'm this, I'm that. Well, what does God say? God has to be our authority. God has to be who it is. God has to be all, God has to be, here it goes. God has to be so much more beautiful than this nation and this country and this flag and this military and its people. God has to be so, so magnificently, eloquently awesome in our eyes for us to change. You can't say one nation under God and you still, we're still not, not me, I'm not following his laws and how I treat people. Yeah. That's like a total slap in God's face. And, but we don't see that. We only see the good we do. Okay, here it goes. Hey, I had some kids across the, kids across the tracks. Let me go ahead and throw them some, throw them some money. That, God, God loves that. Yeah, he loves that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not. It's, that's a, maybe that's a piece of a solution, but it's not the whole picture, it's right? Not whole, it's not the whole picture. Yeah. It's, it's actually relationship. It's relationship. A beautiful God, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven hmm. to have a relationship, a right relationship with us, right? You know what I mean? So that every, so that, and then the crazy thing is he took all this, he took our sin, like, so this is all of our sin in here, and he took it upon ourselves so that we can now have a relationship with God. But we don't see that. That lens, our lens is so crooked. Even in, this, even in, in, the, in the today's church, our lens of God and Jesus mm. is so backward. You know what I mean? Especially when it comes to dealing with people who are poor, mm. who are of a different race of us. And the very same God was poor. <laughs> and he was a dark-skinned Palestinian Jew. You see, you see how that's ironic? Yeah. 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 It, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make, it shouldn't make, it should not make sense to the Christian, to the believer. And that, and that goes for all of us, not just black, this is white people, it's black too. But at the end of the day, I believe those most in power are, are white. Look at all the, look at all your, your president and vice president's white. Your chief of police is white. Your, your senator, most of them senators are white. 89% of the senators are white. 85% or 90% of the representatives are white. Your mayor is white. The lane, so stay in your lane. Your lane is a shut up and dribble lane. It's like almost like blacks only have sports and entertainment. So now you have LeBron speaking for all blacks. How, like, that's what we're relegated to. Because he has enough money hmm. to speak for all of us. But I'm like, I don't want LeBron speaking for me. I'm, I, I'm not saying nothing's wrong with LeBron, but I don't want him speaking for me. I, I, you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I, you know, it's just, it's just, that's just where we are right now in America. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. 
So I th what I hear you saying is we need, we need quality relationships. We need to understand our own lens. And there are systemic things that, that need to be changed. I was thinking of uh, years ago, I watched a movie that used this illustration about traffic. So whenever there's a traffic jam on a road, obviously, you know, everybody has to stop because there's this wreck. And then it takes them a while to clear that wreck. And then once they clear the wreck, there's still like a memory of where the wreck happened. So that wreck could be cleared, but people are still stopping there for a while, you know? And I feel like there's been so much history, so much water, water under the bridge for us regarding race that I think we're still getting stuck in, in a place, you know, and that we're still kind of having to deal with our past. And so, man, I think that's, that's good for us. Um, I think we should probably close down now. Um, so lens, quality relationships, and we do need to be mindful that there are systemic things that need to be changed in our nation. It, it, start, it starts with us, Chris. Yeah, it starts with it starts us. That, it starts with yeah. that individual, yeah. That individual yeah. who sees a problem, yeah. but does something about it. Right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.